Why, hello, Thrivers. What is a Thriver, you ask? If you're a Thriver, it means you're a fan of this show. That's right. While you're all Thrivers in my heart, there's a more official way to become one, if you catch my drift. Go to www.patreon.com slash MrThrive to become a patron to this exciting opportunity for exclusive content, live updates, experimental media, insights, and more, all to keep you more in the action. Become a Thriver today at patreon.com slash MRThrive. Enjoy the show. You have stumbled upon Stars of Tomorrow. Every Friday, I, Mr. Thrive, interview someone like performer and musician Paul Maselli Maselvis, who's yet to be further discovered. This up-and-coming podcast talks with the up-and-coming Paul. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you very much. It, <laughs> uh, so you said you, you just there at the very minute, last minute, kind of put in the Maselvis part. Do you mind explaining that character a little bit for the audience so we understand? Yeah, absolutely. My last name is Maselli, and lately I've taken on the role of Elvis. So a friend of mine says, oh, so now you're Maselvis. I'm like, yeah, that's it. And that comes from having been in Dread Zeppelin, where I was the drummer. And Dread Zeppelin is Led Zeppelin, reggae style, dread like dreadlocks, with Elvis. So while I was world touring drumming in that band, which was Robert Plant's favorite band, by the way, ironically. You're kidding me. Yeah, amazing. The, the lead singer himself of Led Zeppelin was saying, my favorite right now is Dread Zeppelin. I have it in the car. And the singer's like, it's on our my YouTube channel, and uh, we have a movie coming out. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. but Yeah, well, tell us more about the movie. Well, uh, that... I mean, so we're back to Led Zeppelin reggae style with Elvis. And, oh, well, first let me finish because I was the drummer in Dread Zeppelin. And then I was doing my own version of Dread Zeppelin called Fresh Zeppelin. And my stage name in Dread Zeppelin was Fresh Cheese. And there's another story behind that. (laughs) The first drummer's name was Cheese. And then when I came in and, uh, oh, you're Fresh Cheese. So that was that. And then we world toured 89 to 92 and uh, Robert Plant's favorite band and all that. All kinds of great things. So we, and we have a movie coming out documenting the whole thing and the continuation of the band all this time still. And somebody's uh, wanted to do a movie about it. And, they, and it's all done. Now they're going through the red tape or the paperwork, how they're going to release it, whether it's going to be Netflix. I think it's called the, the Greatest Story Never Told or something, Dread Zeppelin. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's it's pretty. I learned some things watching it too, and it's funny and and all kinds of good stuff. But as as I was, uh, they were looking at having me play guitar because I always had a guitar in my hand, and uh, because I play the drums and the guitar. And there's another story behind that. Sure. Oh my God. We have so many avenues oh, to go down gosh. right now. I love it. Yeah. The the first one I want to go down is that you and I actually kind of share a little bit of an identity crisis. I don't know if you realize this because I've gone through many nicknames myself. Mm. I, I, I was, I, I was, I'm, I'm a Charles. And then, uh, growing up, my parents by default, just call me Charlie. Mm. And then, uh, I ended up in the same class with another Charlie. So being that there were two Charlies, there just wasn't enough room for the both of us. So I may, I, I, I pretty much picked the name out of a hat for my mom. Actually, shout out to my mom who said, why don't you go by Chaz? And I was like, ooh, that's a cool name. Yeah. You know? 
And I have a brother named Charlie and call him Chaz or Charlie. Or... Do you really call him Chaz? Yeah. I want to meet him now. Well, I don't necessarily call him Chaz, but he goes by Chaz, you know, Maselli. Or... Sure. Yeah. But like we say, call us whatever you want, but just don't call us late for dinner. Yeah, that's right. What oh, I... oh, and I didn't finish about how I ended up with the Elvis, though, being Miss Elvis. Okay. Because I was auditioning Elvis guys... Uh, well, I was playing guitar. I'm looking at playing guitar. I was going to play guitar in Dread Zeppelin, but that didn't work out. So I said, oh, shoot, I could just do this myself because it's so dang fun and the world needs this entertainment. It's very entertaining. You're watching the show and it's mind blowing because you're hearing Led Zeppelin with reggae and you got Elvis and all these elements. Like, wow, it's just so entertaining and the world needs it. We haven't world toured it since 92. They've gone out and uh, done shows in the U.S. and so forth, but not the world touring like we did before. And I'm like, man, we could world tour this thing. And I don't think they're really up for that. You know, they got like kids and older and they've done it for all these years. Sure. And so long, even after 25 years, we became eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we're in articles here and there. There's a Led Zeppelin article and then it will be mentioned or, you know, Dread Zeppelin's around. And so I was auditioning Elvis singers. And Elvis singers get paid pretty well, but they know Elvis songs. They don't necessarily know the Led Zeppelin songs. So right. I'm like, well, you go like this. Oh, hey, hey, mama said the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. And I'm like, shit, man, I just need to do the Elvis. So I took that on. I'm the Elvis. Now i got a lot of lyrics to learn because I've never really been the lyric guy. I've been the drummer or the guitar player. So right. It's a, so I've been going to karaoke and then finding, oh, my range isn't like a high range. You know, it's a lower register. Some Elvis, some Jim Morrison. So some people are calling him the Elvison because I do a lot of Jim <laughs> Doors or Johnny Cash. Or I think your nicknames are way cooler <laughs> than any nickname I've ever had. Well, that's... Uh, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> it really is another story, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's great, though. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, I just like that you've been, you know, putting yourself in this place of challenge, you know, challenging yourself like this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, has it, have you been received pretty well? For this, uh, for this impersonation? Yeah, I threw up a Facebook page and started going to karaoke. And wow, you're, you know, people have been complimentary. And um, so now I have to take it further. I even, we played the whiskey uh, a month or two ago. I love the whiskey. Yeah, the whiskey and go-go, world-famous whiskey. And um, done some other shows, St. Rock and Petey's Place here in Reseda. So it's like, okay, but now I need to get the recording done and a video out so we can take this further. And, um, you know, building the team, looking for the right agents or manager, uh, get some venues going, get some gigs going. Um, but it's very entertaining. And, oh, my gosh, the creations are abounding because Elvis, uh, I was going to karaoke, right, to practice, you know, do some Elvis songs or Jim Morrison or whatever, practice as a singer. Right. And then I met a Marilyn Monroe uh, gal. She's an actress. Kelly Mullis, and she's fantastic. And she was doing her show, Marilyn Monroe show. And wait a minute, Elvis and Marilyn? Is there some? Yes, they might have. There was a rumor they might have had a night together. Did they ever actually meet? It's there's rumors and things about it. So, sure. So we incorporated that into the show. And Priscilla, her friend, was being Priscilla. So we filmed this at the whiskey. And so we got a little bit of a funny thing there. We got Marilyn and uh, between Priscilla, like, oh, yeah. uh-oh, it could be like, there could be a whole drama or fun. So we're like, wow, we could really take this 
to a lot of places. That's here. neat. And this video is online. It's on YouTube. Uh, I got to edit it, but we, we filmed it at the whiskey, so uh, yeah, I'll edit that. All right. Maybe we get some viral action going, and mm. we're we're thinking Madison Square Garden. That's where we want to go. And then the guy was over there, Madison Square Garden. My band just played Madison Square Garden. We were at the Rainbow. So it's like all these things. Yeah, creations. they're just kind of perfectly aligning. Yeah. So you kind of feel like it's more meant to be, don't you? Yeah, and it feels good because it's like, oh yeah, this is cool, and I could do this character, and it's fun, and it's entertaining. That's what it's about: is entertaining people and. That's always what it should be about. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just doing it. Well, I mean, also, I mean, just to entertain yourself as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and then I'm also conscientious. I have, like, uh, human rights and good choices that I promote and encourage music education, performance in the arts. This is uh, kind of part of what I'm also about. Yeah. Uh, how, how, how do you do that exactly? Uh, well, there's uh, Youth for Human Rights. There's a, there's a booklet of 30 human rights that who knew you know there's what are all these human rights i couldn't even name them off right now i would need the booklet but you know right to know slavery is a big one right to know slavery exactly right to know slavery you mean uh, as in to have knowledge of slavery as a potential no like right to not have to be a slave got it yeah okay. nobody should be a slave yeah so there's that right and then uh i've there's so much more to talk about. Rock against trafficking, which means right to no slavery. He's got uh, Gary Miller out of Malibu has an album he's recorded with Sting and Fergie and Slash and Santana and members of Journey and Heart. And I had been promoting We Rock for Human Rights. We Rock Human Rights and connecting with him over the years and he does rock against trafficking, which is just one of the 30 human rights, right? To no slavery. Right. So uh, I told him I was looking at doing another thing, orchestra, symphony orchestra variety concerts. And he's all, I'm in, you know, because then I also promote human rights and you can have the booklet in the back and also good choices, which Nancy Cartwright is part of. She's the voice of Bart Simpson. And oh, she, yeah. She heard I was doing that. She said, oh, this is great. And so now I want to put these orchestra variety concerts together, but also maybe my Miscellus character can show up and then the Priscilla and the Marilyn, or maybe just for a song or two. Sure. But the whole orchestra variety was anything from Star Wars or back um, in junior high, I played drums and they put me on playing the, the Rocky theme or Jesus Christ Superstar and gave me a drum solo and it was like, Got a standing ovation. It's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. I was just trying to get through this, the song, you know, and, and the solo. At which time Van Halen 2 had come out and uh, while well, I was in junior high. And um, I'm going to tie in another part of the story here. I was in a band with Michael Anthony's younger brother. He's the bass player from Van Halen, Dennis. And so at that time I was... That's I was. That's how I was into drums and guitar. I was very close to Van Halen there, you know, and I met all them and playing in a band with Michael Anthony's younger brother. So, but back then, playing drums, uh, got the standing ovation in the concert. I was playing in the band and the orchestra, and that's kind of where the drumming began. Totally. And but that kind of an experience is why I also want to encourage people to be playing an instrument or get into the band or the orchestra or something. Absolutely. Because it's just unbelievable. And there's so many 
awareness as you get being aware of the other instruments, being responsible and accountable for being in a group. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the philosophers talk about how important it is music. Plato himself has quotes about it, that it has answers to things, you know, whether spirituality and mathematics and intelligence and God and relating and, and all this connecting stuff is so important. Yeah. So I as part of my purpose, don't want to just be out entertaining like, hey, everybody party. You know, it's like, yeah, we're having a good time, rock and roll. But also be aware of your human rights, make good choices in life, encourage people to play music and do some kind of art. Yeah. Because if you want peace on earth, imagine if everybody's working on some music or art, you're not, they're not going to, where am I going to, I don't need war. I want to make some music here. Yeah. No, <laughs> let's make some music. I was going to say, I think you're uh, a musician with a very uh, fantastic personality with a, a very noble cause. But do most musicians have that noble of a cause, do you think? Well, they have certain awareness. And I think we all have a certain amount of awareness. It just depends where we're at. But uh, it's I feel like when there's something good to share, you want to share it. And I'm you know, basically a truth seeker. Yeah. And I think most people are. It's just who we are. We're spiritual beings. But some people don't realize that either because we've been fed ideas that maybe we're not. Like there's psychiatry and psychology are the kind of more different ideas. Right. And would be more interested in drugging everybody or... Uh, well, psychology is, yeah. I get psychiatry what you're for yeah. the issues. Psychiatry, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's truth about... That there's an organization, Citizens Commission on Human Rights, mm -hmm. cchr.org. They should say the talk about the truth about psychiatry and the intentions and the vested interests there. Yeah. Uh, and there's natural ways, natural solutions. So I've been into health and nutrition, um, you know, for handling the physical aspects, but then there's the mental and spiritual aspects. And if you want to feel well, do things. To help or that you can feel well about, have your integrity and you feel well and expand, you just shrink yourself when you don't do the right, right things. Right. And it, it hurts yourself, but anyway. Like like music, though. You're saying, like, do something that makes you happy, like music. Yeah. You know? Or, or like me with, with podcasting. Or like, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at that. What is, what is your therapy? Was it hard to find your therapy? Well, you're... I, like I said, a truth seeker. So I've always been, and I think we go through that in life. Like, what's it all about? I, you know, I always hear my dad, what's it all about? <laughs> Having his input. Um, was your dad a, was your dad like you or was he, was he opposite? Oh, my parents are great, but uh, very supportive and encouraging. But uh, God bless him. He was working, you know, he was an electronic engineer and I was kind of like, dad, what do you do all day when you go to work? You know, and I couldn't really get into that or wasn't gravitating that direction. I was more, we had the piano in the living room and uh, my mom would tinker at it, but I'm, I'm the youngest of four and my oldest uh, is my sister and she was like an expert pianist. Uh, she could, she can read like anything, you know, and, um, but I was quite young and she ended up getting married um, and moving out. So it was me and my other brothers there. And there was a guitar in the house. Yeah. The Gibson and my uh, older brother Peter uh, would be playing that somewhat. And brother Charlie had been playing the trumpet in the band. And then, and you know, we did the song flute in elementary school. And then, like, well, 
I want to play the drums now that we're just getting to choose an instrument in the fourth, fifth grade. And they're like, no, no, everybody plays the drums. Pick something else. Right. What's this trombone, I guess. So I tried that. And then by the time I got into junior high, um, I told the uh, band instructor, uh, I got to play these drums because I heard those going down the street. It's like, wow, that's amazing. You know, you felt it. You really felt it in your chest. Oh, my gosh. And I also previously had taken some piano lessons. My mom, you know, had put me in some obligatory, is that the word? Like uh, piano lessons to try it out. Yeah. And it was about reading as opposed to like um, my brother or sister had showed me like a little riff from the doors. Do, 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 so I could jam on that. Sure. And the piano teacher's like, oh, yeah, show me some more of that. That's cool. Okay, now let's get back to the reading. How much is that doggy in the window? I was like, oh. <laughs> too inspired to do that. Yeah. And so, plus, it's, it's a challenge. That's a different thing, reading versus playing. You know, I know a lot of uh, musicians, great musicians that don't read or necessarily why, know the theory. Why is that? It's just what it is. I mean, you can get an instrument and learn to make sounds and, and figure things out and be shown some scales, but you don't necessarily read the notes on the page. That's a whole different skill. And that's a valuable skill, but it's a different one. Right. So. And what what makes it valuable? Because it sounds like, you know, there are those that can read the music, but you can still be successful to some degree, or any degree for that matter, without knowing how to read music. Right. So it just makes it more. You're more advanced because if you can read it on the page, oh, there it is. You know. Yeah. You can bang it out. It's, I guess it's like being able to read and write. You know, the words that you can learn to speak, but sure. if you don't learn to read and write, then you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. To, uh, yeah, no, I get that. So it would be the same with... Is, uh, is, that, a, is that a commonly debated topic amongst musicians? Well, uh, it could be talked about. I don't think anybody's going to argue the fact that the reading would be a great skill and thing sure. to have because then... You, you can sit down and just bang something out. No, totally. With, with somebody like Chick Corea or something. You know, they're reading the music because right. there's a lot going on there. And But then it's a, a beautiful skill that somebody can just hear and play to it. So you got all kinds of people that just do that. Absolutely. You mentioned, uh, you know, you beginning to learn. Your, your sister had just moved out. She was the expert pianist. But you had the piano in the house. Who taught you piano? Well, like I said, Mom uh, had gotten the music teacher to come over and you know we did some lessons um so it was around but you know i with, with okay the trombones one thing but i gravitated to those drums and the guitar was around and then of course then getting in a band with uh van halen's uh, eddie uh, michael anthony's younger brother yeah yeah was like oh yeah guitar and drums they were just like i had to learn both so it was a great challenge then, I bet. Probably, uh, you know, testing your limits for sure. Yeah, and the thing is, is the drums was like, I I have to learn this. Like, bugging people to show me. Going over to my friends, hey, can I borrow your sticks or your drum booklet? I, I remember ordering the drumsticks, you know, that they were going to arrive in a week or something. <laughs> and oh, so exciting, and Ludwig drumsticks and... It's just, you know, something when you're inspired to do something, to go for it. And then you run into, of course, challenges, barriers, and whatnot. It's kind of getting through those is the thing. 
like now what? Oh, am I going to get a drum set? Dad says, well, go play on the pots and pans a little bit and see. And, oh, okay, well, that's old fast. You actually got to play with the pots and pans? <laughs> I gra- yeah, I remember grabbing the <laughs> five pots and pans and took them down in the room. I was like, well, this is okay, but it ain't quite what it is. I right, think. this isn't exactly a bass drum. And he says, all right, let's take you into the music store and the music teacher and do a lesson and see what they think. And so I went in there. And since I already had music training and to some degree reading mm-hmm. with the trombone and some piano, uh, but he just told me to, to play a basic thing. And... Uh, and then I did it, and I was like, yes. That feels good. This feels good. I could tell he knows I, I could go somewhere with this, so he gave encouragement to my dad, and then birthday came around, and we got the drum set coming, and then lessons each week. Sure. So I got to be a pretty noisy household, huh? You know, God bless them, because they let me do that, and uh, having rock bands and everything, and they're just jamming out, and shutting the doors and the windows and putting up with it. Right. I can't believe that they did that. That's amazing of them. I think it is. I think it is. Because I, I had a next-door neighbor who, who tried playing the drums a little bit. I remember that he, he went through a little phase where he was playing the drums and he was practicing, and maybe his little brother would come and pick up the drumsticks. And then, because he was lazy, no offense to my next-door neighbor, but because that kid was lazy and he didn't really have like the ethic or the interest to, to pursue it further... He kind of stopped, and suddenly the neighborhood got a lot quieter. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. On, on the other side of the of our of our neighborhood, we also had uh, the violin teacher. Mm. So I'd come home, and it was actually really pleasant hearing like just like violin classes and like string string classes happening in this woman's household, and it was really sweet, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and one of my friends started getting into drums down the street, so I could hear him drumming. And then there was another guy who was a rock and drummer another street over. And you could hear that. And then actually one, uh, my brother Charlie, he's nine years older than me, was best friends with Joe, who was the founder or one of the founders really made things happen with Dred Zeppelin. Wow. And he'd always been into music and doing things around Arcadia and Pasadena. And he just one street over. And my mom was friends with them. And so we were around that. But it's funny because as I was playing trombone and then I had to play drums, the the drum teacher, Mr. Farr, great uh, in junior high says, yeah, that's fine, but you are not changing. I need trombone players, right? Trombonists. Totally. The band needs that. And then I became like the best drummer. He's all, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You can teach the other drummers. We're going to have to have a class where you teach the drummers. So you became a teacher then I I was teaching. Yeah. Other drummers. I became the drum leader. and And how old were you? Well, let's see, I'd started, but I think on my 12th birthday, but then junior high, 13, 14, and then into high school, 15, 16, 17, 18. At that young of an age, at, at, at that teenage level, you became the teacher. Well, of other drummers, 14. Like after, but still, that's, that's an incredible accomplishment. Thanks, yeah. Well, after taking drum lessons, you know, after a little bit and getting good at it, then you're able to show other people things, or they want to, hey, how do you do that? So it just kind of started happening. We had a drum set in the uh, closet in the back, with the band uniforms and stuff. So before class, before the we'd be in there and, oh, let me try something. Oh, hey, how'd you do that? Oh, my God, you're so good. You know. So. Yeah. Was the coordination for you natural when learning how to do the drums at the, at the start? Yeah, and then there's plenty. There's so much to learn, so much to go through, and it's 
and challenging and I remember getting mad doing you know certain exercise and you, and you have to you go for it as far as you can and then maybe take a break and come back to it you know or, or do something else yeah. but I would notice once you come back to it oh it's easier now right so that's that persistence and keeping after it sure is it kind of like going to the gym just got to do it at least once a day or something like that or or, or get into the routine of it. There's similarities, yeah. I mean, and I can understand where philosophers and uh, you know the great composers they, they talk about how valuable music is, and it teaches you a lot of things. So, including going after it and being persistent, or getting through some barrier, or seeing and feeling things. Yeah. And I've also been naturally athletic, like uh, you know I was all star championship uh, little league baseball pitcher for one thing Remarkable. At, at 12 years old but I like started getting into music and went more that direction plus my body didn't end up being like a big muscly I'm a little more sure. thin, thin boned and not quite like that more maybe could be swimmer body or something but okay not, yeah but, but not like uh, the big baseball player football player but no problem rocking the drums and that's where my interests gravitated more towards yeah so what is the most important thing that music ever taught you oh well i was gonna say it's also therapeutic sure because you'd you'd mentioned that something about that so it's kind of like you have to kind of sometimes make yourself go sit down and you know it's kind of like have a session you know or sit down and do your practice and that practice time once you do it it's therapeutic uh, because you get somewhere just like going to the gym i noticed oh you got to make yourself go do it but usually you feel better or accomplished afterwards you you so do Yeah. yeah yeah and and that's something about that it's making getting the body to go do something or to push past any mental or barrier stops because there's a lot of uh, resistance to get something done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you ever noticed. No, definitely. So, uh, yeah, you push past that, through that, and you and the, and it's very therapeutic. I, I think if you're a normal person, it's very natural and very easy to be lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think one of the best things to to push past that is having a competition. So me and my girlfriend actually right now we have a new competition, and. Uh, to preface it, we, we would we would jog and we'd, we'd run together every now and then. I, I was doing it mainly because she's a, a positive influence on me and whatnot. But what happened recently was uh, over Thanksgiving, we were visiting my family in Oxnard. And my cousin, all the way from Boston, who originally from before that is from Wales, so he kind of has a, a really interesting blend of accents there between a Welsh and a Boston accent. He's come here now. And we're talking, we're hanging out with him. My girlfriend and I just went on a beautiful run down the beach in Oxnard. And then we're talking to Carrie, who was doing weights in the gym at my parents' community area. And uh, what Carrie was saying was that him and his friends are on uh, Map My Map My Run, which is an app. Hmm. And on Map My Run, basically, you can add your friends and you can uh, you can track your runs. And the competition is to see who has ran the most that month. So now my girlfriend and I are in this new competition. Before you came over, I, I had this just this. this this window of opportunity to go on the run. So I got my two and a half miles done today and I did two and a half miles yesterday and I did two and a half miles before that. And I've never run 
that long with that kind of consistency ever in my life because of that competition. Mm. And afterwards, I just feel so good, you know? I feel so good because I'm able to accomplish that. And not many people, I mean, well, people do. People do run that much. But, you know, I feel feel very accomplished by the end of the day. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Of course, there's the health benefits to it and the mental and the spiritual and it all is related. And I don't know if you know this, but I've, you know, there's the book Dianetics, which helps you get rid of the unwanted fears, emotions and things and explains very simply how that works. And um, I'm actually not familiar with that book. No, not at all. Oh, it it breaks down very simple. And it comes from, you know, controversial Scientology. Mm. And uh, my brother had been into that and I'd I'd gotten involved back in college. Um, They had a great study course and a communication course. And so I was like, wow, this should have taught us this stuff in school. And then I was hearing like some, oh, you know, bad things in the press and whatever. Like, what are you talking about? This is like the greatest learning experience I've ever had. And then, um, oh, no wonder, because we're like truth and, you know, exposing so, the interesting the fraud of uh, psychiatry and crimes. And yeah, it's like, oh, no wonder they don't uh, want the man to think for himself and be free. It's like. So that's been my experience, but to get yeah. rid of those barriers, those mental barriers, wow, that Dianetics works great, and then the Scientology processing, and they got courses to help. So there's definitely some merit to this. I mean, what would you call it? A religion? A cult? What? What? what how would you define it? Well, it became a, it's a religion because it's addressing you as a spiritual being. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, oh, well, that's just into the area of religion, and then that you know, your relationship with God and other spiritual beings, and so you get. You find the answers. They're all within us, within you. When you're asked the right questions and you're not told what to think, you know, well, because you're childhood, you know, some false thing. Right. Uh, we just said the, the, you get asked questions that help you look and it's all mapped out now, like scientifically on how to achieve greater uh, awareness and get rid of the unwanted emotions, feelings and things that shouldn't be there that inhibit us. Right. Yeah. And you say that it definitely did it work? It it works. It definitely works. It's remarkable. Yeah, like when my parents passed away, I go I went in and you can do a session. It goes and they explain how to do it in Dianetics. It's actually very simple. You know how you feel better like when you talk to somebody, get something off your chest. Sure. In those cases and they're a good listener. It's just kind of like that. It's very natural, but then there's a proper technique on how to achieve a good end result and that's all scientifically laid out so it's kind of like science meets religion and um, it's there for those that want to avail themselves of it and you also have to have a certain amount of awareness to and tenacity to go after it because there's inherent things to keep us lazy or Mm -hmm. you know from not and yeah there's a lot to be said about all of this. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> Are you still a Scientologist? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's also related to the nonprofit organizations, the human rights, um, the way to happiness is, and the good choices program is non-denominational, like just common sense rules to live by, like take care of yourself, don't kill someone, respect uh, others or treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Yeah, Kind of sure. like Ten Commandments, but without a religious spin on it. Okay. So 
because it's been found that the the teachers, the parents, and the governments are pulling their hair out what to do with the kids because the kids are a little out of control or, you know, teenagers or people are in general. So, look, here's a common sense how to be happy, you know, do the right things for yourself, for others. And, uh, and if you follow that, there's going to be a lot more happiness. Yeah, it's a structure and guidance for lost potentially lost souls lost people yeah and for everybody to for just everybody kind of yeah. be aware of that's great and there's so much more technology on uh, human interaction relations and everything that's going on because scientology comes means the study of knowing so it's mm. just a study about truth and so people from all religions all kinds of religions use scientology tools and uh, things that are available um, to be better in whatever they need to be better at or helped with. Absolutely. So then what makes Scientology so controversial? Because it's cutting into the vested interests. Um, It didn't intend a war, but when, I guess back when Dianetics came out, the government was kind of like, hey, we want to use this for mind control. And L. Ron Hubbard's like, no, this is to help set man free and think for himself. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really want to. And it wasn't very well accepted because, you know, when they know everything already and know best and, you know, uh, so he, he ended up having to set up uh, situations, well, release the book and people wanted to know more and they started giving lectures and he was smart enough to like be recording all the lectures and everything and all the progress and then come to find out like the technique in Dianetics, um, oh, we're dealing with the spiritual beings here, you know. It's not just like bodies and who's remembering these thoughts and things. Okay, well, now we're in the field of religion. It's not like you just want to try and have a religion. It's like this is what it is. So now we have to, you know, we're going to make progress here for the spiritual beings involved. Right. And it's advanced, 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 advanced. And all the discoveries are documented along the way. And it's really, it's actually exciting to think that there's a, a map you can achieve spiritual freedom mm-hmm. in this lifetime. Like what? Yeah. Yeah, that's so, uh, it could be a far-fetched idea for most people. But once you start to see it and realize it for yourself, um, that's that's pretty ultimate. <laughs> Do you think that? I actually didn't expect to to kind of go down this route, but Me because either, yeah. I because I I've, I've never actually really talked to a Scientologist before. This is the first time for me, so this is exciting for me. But I, I would like to ask, you know, do you think that uh, Scientology is kind of the right place at the right time with being in the information era that we're in now? Yes, uh, interesting you uh, mentioned that because it comes from. Um, you know, 50,000 years of thinking men and roots with Buddhism and then um, Eastern uh, culture meets Western culture and the timing is right because now there's enough uh, technology available because uh, there's the e-meter that has been developed that helps you find the things that affect you uh, negatively because there's like a little uh, electrical charge you could register. Like, you know how a thought can have weight or mass even put you to sleep? Like something can be upsetting 
and you could actually feel that. No, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. No. Oh well, like depression. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. like something. Do, do you mean like a literal mass, like a literal weight? Do you is that what you mean by that? Yeah. Well, it, on the e meter, it can be. It, you can see it. Like think about s- some moment of stress, and boom, there it goes on the meter. And oh, what was that? Oh, that was a time when my mom something or other, or you know, or I, this or that. And oh, okay. So that meter helps find those things that are aggravating you, whether you know it or not. Sure. And so properly guided, you can release that garbage. Yeah. And it can be, it can be gone forever. And there's a whole technique on the on the thing. Dianetics didn't have the meter, uh, but that that came into um, development later, and then people started discovering past lives. Really? Yeah. So, like, this lifetime is nothing compared to what we've been through in in the past. Sure. So there was this, you know, in terms of me thinking about past lives and whatnot, I I watched this video recently from uh, a YouTube channel called Kurzgestatt. It's a German word for in a nutshell. Uh And Kurzgestatt normally does informative videos using cartoons to kind of assist in explaining the concepts and whatnot. But they did uh, a video that was unlike the other videos that they normally do, which was actually just taking uh, a short story that was written and then putting an animation to it. So they just used the narrator they always used for their videos and putting an animation with it. And um, this, it was by Andy Weir. The, the, the author is Andy Weir and basically described this ambiguous figure being God and how we are all celestial beings and how um, we, when we die, we meet the celestial being uh, who, who kind of guides us on this path, waking us up to the idea that we are derived from other past or even potentially future lives because time as a celestial being knows it is different than our world. And then from there, what, he des- what the celestial being described was that all religions are right to some degree and none of them are exact. And... Uh, they, they all have their relevancy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what the purpose of all of this is, is for us, the very soul that is going through all these different beings in time on Earth, is to eventually become a celestial being through just experience, through experiencing all these different lives. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was really uh you know amazed by it because the animation for it was so beautiful mm. and it really it really drew me in because it was it was an idea that i could hop on you know this mm. past life idea i don't i've never explored who or what my past life potentially was i don't even know if it's real you know right. I, this, the skeptic in me goes no I, I i you know you know my my i i was a, i was the sperm cell that got lucky and then uh you know the egg turned into a fetus and the fetus hmm. uh turned into me and then i was born and then uh, i saw light for the first time hmm. and there was no before there just was the beginning of the sentence and eventually i'm working towards what i hope to be an exclamation mark at the end of the sentence that makes up my life yeah you know yeah that's that's where i'm at <laughs> right so the, there's awareness to be had there uh because we have, the body is one thing, and the spiritual being you is another thing, and then you have a mind with the pictures, which is a recording of all your everything existence, and it's all available. But to be able to access it, you need a little help with it, and that's what was discovered. 
But what what kind of help exactly? Well, like with Dianetics, because these, it's explained in Dianetics is a reactive mind, and those are the moments of pain and unconsciousness and unpleasant things that get recorded. So those things um, at Dianetics.org, you can see the little video explains it. Uh, those are beyond your awareness sometimes. Like maybe somebody said something while you were knocked out unconscious and in pain and, oh, it looks like a mess. And then for some reason you don't know, you always feel like you're a mess in yeah. later life. You don't realize that somebody said that while you were unconscious and in pain, maybe even when you were born or in the womb or so all these there's an infinite amount of potential things affecting you to have arthritis or 70% of these uh, psychosomatic illnesses. You don't, why do I get a migraine and a allergies? And well, once you get going in Dianetics, you start releasing some of this garbage and wow, all of a sudden I don't have that pain in my elbow anymore. What did I have that happen? That is interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely interested. I want to explore this a little bit more. Yeah. But to, but to take this back a little bit, yeah. I want to talk about, uh, you know, going back to your music and whatnot. Yeah. Today, you are involved in several bands. Yes. Uh, you said you had experience in Dread Zeppelin. Uh, you had your own version of Fresh Zeppelin. But what else is there? I think you mentioned a disco as well. Yeah, I have a 70s disco band called the Booty Shakers. <laughs> I just love the name. <laughs> yeah. Well, where'd that come from? It makes me want to dance just hearing it. Right. <laughs> well, that came from what? Shake Your Booty. Oh, the Booty Shakers. You know, KC and the Sunshine Band. Yeah, of course. We, and I always say KC and the Booty Shakers. And this is all part of being true to oneself, like being true to myself. Well, I am a musician, artistic performer, creative kind of guy. And uh, in Scientology and the Dynamics helps you to be all who you can be, like helping release the stuff that's not you. Plus, there's tools to look at, like what's your goals and purposes and ideal scenes and what you'd like to do. And, well, I feel best when I'm about being creative and a musician and performing and putting on events I mean, even back in junior high, whatever, it's about having a party at the house, you know, and performing. And that's You'd what... perform at parties, too? Of course, yeah. As soon as you get in a band and start playing, oh, my gosh. And even before I was playing, Van Halen would come on. And I would have oh to go air guitar crazy. And people, were, you know, the other kids are like, going, what is up with him? And then some of the guys would join in. We'd be air guitaring. Like, <laughs> the power of rock is yeah. just so amazing. That really is. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, also the disco, wow. I never thought I'd be in a disco band, but once you start playing it and rocking it, there's some serious grooves going on. Sure. And it gets people dancing. And, um, you know, when I was playing drums in rock bands and you realize and that's it's mic'd and it's going goom, goom. You're like, wow, that's coming from me. If I stop, that beat stop. I better keep that going. <laughs> yeah. you know? I've always wondered that from the from the drummer's perspective. Oh like, what God. happens if like the drummer just gets a little bit tired and he yeah. starts to slow down, but he's trying to pick it up? Well, then you, you know, you can't. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> or well, maybe the bass drum pedal falls off, and then you just improvise a little bit or whatever. You take a break, and then they yeah. get, get things <laughs> fixed. That's all part of the live experience, you know. Right. But uh, then there's also tracks nowadays where things can are on the tracks. And the disco band has that, so we sound like the CD, where you got the strings recorded and the brass and the uh, percussion and different things to make it sound nice and full. And people do that now with tracks. Unfortunately, Millie Vanilli really had a different situation, but uh, yeah. But then there's all the lip syncing and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, back to the booty shakers. I've been doing that for I don't know 25 years now. Is that right? And wow. Um, that was right after Dread Zeppelin. Uh, there was another 
a band that was doing the disco thing and it was like catching on. I'm like, wait a minute, they're not singing all that. The background vocals were pre-recorded. Oh. But it sounded so good and people were having so fun and such so much fun. And, you know, they were dressed up with the wigs and the outfits. And I'm like, hmm, I think I want to do some of that myself. So I, it kind of had to do with the engagement. The appeal behind it was that people were almost taking themselves back to a time for for just creating uh, a very simple kind of genre of music. Yeah. Plus, you know, as a musician, you want to be able to work you know, and make some money and have a good event and some fun. So that's like a, a working uh, situation there. Right. I mean, I was doing classic rock and playing some gigs, doing the classic rock. But hmm, how about we incorporate some of this disco? Okay, now let's go full on and market and promote it. And we were getting booked like all over the place. And, wow. Yeah. And still going. So like I have a New Year's show um usually every year and this one coming up at spokane washington at uh, northwest casino i believe and they're flying us up and you know you're like a rock star right and you go and do these gigs where you're getting paid to come and play for the the party totally do you, do you have a contract like different requirements that that people have to abide by if they want to hire you yeah i mean i'm not like uh you know Headstrong, like I think Van Halen, they had no green M and M's or something. Or yeah, I've heard that. I've heard <laughs> that was just being silly, right? Yeah, but yeah, I'm just pretty easy going about all that stuff. Appreciate, you know, whatever. Yeah. But but usually a requirement would be try to get a deposit, you know, and or uh, some food and beverages and a, you know what's the break and you know it's all about agreements. And that's the thing in life and relationships. That's another subject. Yeah, the transparency <laughs> behind it and whatnot. I, you know, I, I, I have a little story, and now I understand why the story is the way it is. But I have a little story about uh, when I met, when I actually had to work with Gene Simmons. Mm. I got to work with him, and it was a very funny day because I, I, I was working at the Gamer Choice Awards as a production assistant. So I was the runner. I was going around grabbing coffee, getting food, doing transportation and whatnot for this event. And um, it was also the first live event I worked at. But later, like about midway through the day, I found out that uh, Gene Simmons was going to be there. Mm. And then I had to set up his green room, right? Mm. Uh, did you ever meet uh, Kiss or any of the members of Kiss? I met his son, Nick, uh, not too long ago. And I think Gene was a little bit involved with Dread Zeppelin or Came or something. But okay. I didn't wow. really connect there. All right. Well, okay. So here here was my experience, okay? Um so every single one of the guys, the four guys in KISS, they all had their own individual contracts. Mm. And they all had their own requirements, but the one thing that they all had in common was the fact that they all needed their own separate green room. Mm. None of them wanted to be in the same room with each other. Okay, yeah. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought that I, I, I would assume if you're a band, you kind of want to be together to kind of brainstorm. Just because I, I saw my friends in high school when they had their band, uh, they, they would always be in the same green room together, just kind of collaborating and getting ready, doing a little pep talk before the show. So I always, I always thought that they would want to be together, but they wanted complete separation from each other. And the only interaction they had was on stage. I thought that was really interesting. That's up to a certain point, because as you're developing and growing, you go through so much of being together and everything. Yeah. and Then you do get to a point where you would like a little space, a little privacy, a little time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that was happening. But then, okay, so here's... Here's what happened, okay? There was a PA who worked more closely with the producer than I, I had. I think she was the head PA. And Gene Simmons, on his specific contract, asked for a total of six 
thirst-quenching grapefruit punch-flavored Gatorades. Hmm. Now, you might be thinking, okay, no big deal. Just get six thirst-quenching Gatorades. But the term thirst-quencher is actually not referring to the size of the bottle, but the shape of the bottle. So there are two types of large Gatorade bottles. There's just a large Gatorade bottle. You could also get extra large Gatorade bottles. And then um, with the large Gatorade bottle, there's a second variant, the Thirst Quencher. And I would never have known this if I, it wasn't for Gene Simmons. But on his contract, he requested grapefruit-flavored Thirst Quencher Gatorades. <laughs> Six of them to be precise. Yeah. And the PA who was supposed to get it got five. So now we have to get the sixths, and you have to buy them individually. They don't give you a, like a pack like you know like a normal six pack would. You, they don't give you that. So next thing I know, I was asked to go get the sixth one. Hmm. It's the hardest thing to find, <laughs> and I actually couldn't find it. And the PA actually had to. So we were in Hollywood. The PA had to drive all the way back to the valley to to find to go to the exact store where she found it, and she got the last thirst thirst quencher, and it probably was the last. Thirst quench gape, grapefruit flavored Gatorade in all of Los Angeles, uh, but she got the last one of that day, yeah. and she brought it back. And it was like three minutes before the show, where she had to awkwardly go into Gene Simmons' trailer, say, "Here's the sixth one. I'm sorry, sir," and put it down and then run away. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous. And then after the show, I go to clean, you know, I go to clean the the green rooms, and only two of the thirst quenchers were drank. And I was very upset because I guess somehow in my mind I thought to myself, he must just chug these down. Yeah. He must just gobble them down. And then I realized, no, he's just a normal human being who probably could go through one and then maybe go through half of a second one. Yeah. So next thing we know, we were left with four thirst quench Gatorades. And I think we just threw them out because who wants a thirst quenching Gatorade? Have a party. I mean, well, that's <laughs> not true. There are people who do like Gatorade. Yeah. But it was like, oh my god. Yeah. I I don't think any of the members of Kiss like each other anymore. Well, you know, just trying to live with somebody or be around, you know, everybody's yeah. got their own thing. Yeah, drama. Uh, there are things about them and uh, trying to interact. I mean, getting along with yourself is one thing. Getting along in a relationship is another. And then in a group environment and at work and then with human beings. I mean, this... Uh, it's a lot. There's a lot to it's deal a with. a lot there. of moving parts. And that's, again, back to the Dianetics and the Scientology. It goes over these things and... You know how to how to deal with all this stuff. Oh yeah, and and to get rid of the insanity parts so that we can better get along. But even if you got yourself all cleared out and feeling well, doesn't necessarily mean you see eye to eye with somebody else. Everybody's their own individual, but at least you, you can understand better and yeah, gain some respect for each other. No, totally. I I was gonna say there. You brought this insanity kind of part, and the word insanity is just what resonates with me when I remember one of the, the previous guests on the show who kind of mentioned this insane concept, right? He mentioned, my, his name is Keonja Wood, great guy. He's under the episode of The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, great guy. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about uh, his experience as a musician and how sometimes he'd enter a band, and what would happen was... He would be so good and he'd be uh, capturing so much light on the stage that the other band members would start to play horribly. So that way he sounded horrible. Mm. And then what would happen was the whole set was ruined and Kianja would have to eventually leave those those bands. Did that ever happen to you? Has, has anyone ever rained in your parade like that? Well, when you're playing music, I mean, even auditioning players or trying to get band members, 
like I found like with the booty shakers, for example, I had so many shows I didn't. I, I couldn't, uh, if somebody couldn't make a show, I had to have backup players. So I have a roster of, of guys to call upon. And we have like a whole, there's all the disco band members around, but there's all new up and coming ones. But there's always potentially something, you know, even Jurassic Park, anything can and will happen, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to be prepared, constant alertness and uh, so forth. And so talking is one thing playing together is another thing and there's a lot of factors going on in relationships and life and living and so forth yeah no i mean there, there totally is and i i'm always curious just because i've never formed a band but i i've always looked for for you know the right individuals for example i look for the right individuals to collaborate for this podcast i thought you were the right individual the person before you uh chris huron uh, with the last episode, I thought he was the was a perfect individual to bring on, and I, I was right. I've been right uh, a total, I believe, of twenty one out of twenty one times. I'm I'm really proud to say on this podcast. I'm, nice. I feel really flattered because I think that's one of my natural abilities is to find a, a good personality and, and someone who actually has promising talent. But my question to you is, how do you know when you found someone for your band, the, the right person for your band? Well, and I was just thinking when you're talking, I mean, everybody is unique individual. Isn't that amazing? Like, nobody's the same. Like, wow. Right. And everybody's got something. They're, they're wonderful. A huge potential. When they're woken up, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's these other added things that aren't pleasant and so forth. But, um, yeah, so the only way to do that is to get together with somebody like, Hey, that's why you do auditions. That's why you date. That's why, you you know, find out who you're going to work with and make music with. And then things change and can change, you know. But I think just honest communication is the way to go and um, be a good person yourself. And the less secrets, the better, because as soon as secrets start happening, uh, then the communication falls apart and it gets weird from there right oh absolutely yeah and yeah and betrayals and all this kind of, so this is needless kind of drama stuff but it's also part of the adventure in the game and the, the human experience absolutely <laughs> yeah. yeah uh do you ever when you do the auditions when you meet people do you ever try to like throw them off guard maybe throwing a, a left hook in there to just to challenge them well f- yeah i mean like the, if somebody's gonna play the drums we'll go through a couple songs but here how about super freak because that's got a little interesting timing in the drum breaks interesting and can they do it or not well that's one thing but then can they learn to do it like how are they adaptable are able to make it work and there's a lot of factors how how does you know somebody's tone level are they Mm -hmm. kind of more up person or a downer you know yeah and I, i have a feeling you're the kind of guy who likes to work with a with a good personality well that helps yeah the skills one thing and then and that's the thing also about being, I'm also entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, yeah. Work. And so I also do health and wellness and, you know, anything to help people, financial services. I've done online marketing and that kind of stuff as well. Absolutely. But you get pick and choose who you want to work with. I mean, that that's just the way it is. That's one of your rights also, right? So, so that's, where, <laughs> that's where you and I align then. Is that, it seems like you and I both look for that trifecta of charming, entrepreneurial, and talented. Nice, and and that's that's kind of like what I originally based the podcast on. The people who are going to be on this podcast, they're going to be charming, they're going to be talented, and they're going to have the entrepreneurial spurt. 
that none that no other has. I think the entrepreneurial spurt is probably the least common ability that people have. Mm. It's one it's one thing for for someone to say, okay, I want to be in a rock band. Okay, great. What are you gonna do to get there? I'm gonna I'm gonna play the, the drums. Okay, then what? You know. Yeah. And, and then and the and then what is the question? And then and the, the and then what is the is the thing missing? Well, and and that's what happens too. Like so, I say I started playing drums and got into a rock band, and then guess what happens? Well, we're gonna go play a party. Well, then you got to promote. So you're doing flyers and you're marketing and promoting. And I got into marketing and promoting very early on, right? Right. Passing out the flyers, but it's something you got to do. And some people don't necessarily have that in them to talk and go out and do it. But to be the go-getter. Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's just a part of life. You you are marketing and promoting to some degree whatever you're doing. You're selling something. You're selling I'm not this or I am this mm-hmm. or just whatever. You got to make yourself known to some degree to get somewhere, to get a job, to do anything. Absolutely. That what you just described is the act of of go getting right, but I remember a couple years ago I read a book about called the the go giver, and the go giver was kind of like this short story book based around business, and it ended up being a book about the importance of of going out of your way to give things, even if you don't have the ability to give in that time, and what what the act of giving does, and I'm sure that. Yeah, you had to pass the flyers around. Yeah, you had to learn marketing. Yeah, you had to be an entrepreneur. But did you? You, I'm sure you gave too. Aside from your music, what what would you feel that you've given in your life? Well, yeah, and you realize I, I've realized also within Scientology that he talks about the fact that uh, we're all about help. Like you're all your purpose has also other than a survive, of course, but also to help, just to help others. And when you get that perspective out of your own, well, I'm trying to get somewhere or I'm trying to make money or I'm trying to be famous. Actually, if you get that perspective, oh, I'm trying to entertain and maybe help people or something, it gives a different perspective. Like I get the chills when I'm talking about it, right? That's so cool. Yeah. Or when you're driving, like I've had realizations like, well, rather than road rage, actually, if that spiritual being over there in that car is like my brother really spiritually mm-hmm. because we're all kind of we're connected spiritually i believe that yeah yeah and so then that gives a different perspective like oh okay he's just having a maybe whatever a bad day or just mm-hmm. you know you're a little bit more patience or understanding so what was the question <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's so much good stuff to talk about there really is i before you came I was uh, watching what I consider one of my favorite podcasts. It's not considered a podcast, but I consider it a podcast. It's uh, Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee. It's the Jerry Seinfeld Netflix special. Mm. Uh, Just him driving, picking up a comedian, and spending a day drinking coffee. That's Mm. literally the entire show. Um, I was watching the episode with Chris Rock, and Chris Rock said something really beautiful that I love. He said, you can have a gourmet sandwich. You can have a gourmet meal with an asshole and the meal will be crap or you could be eating a street hot dog with the nicest person in the world and it'll be the best hot dog you've ever had in your life yeah and and that's how i feel that's how i feel with you i'm sure many others feel that way being around you and whatnot cool yeah yeah so you were talking about giving and i mean i think that's the thing like i was at a seminar the other day at the church and he was talking about the fact of him going anywhere is about how can he help people, like even help them to help you. You're trying; he's trying to get on the flight. How do you help that person to help you? You know, it's it's kind of this good feel kind of stuff. 
Yeah. But even if you're like aggressive and in a rocker, people are in that tone level or in that mode. That's how they feel. They gravitate towards that aggressive rock or maybe, you know, we have all the emotions to go through. We go and they can change any instant up, down, all around. Mm -hmm. So as an artist, you can create something in this emotion, that emotion, take it up and down and around, whatever. And so if you're also able to give people, give them a smile, like somebody at the cash register at the store or something, I usually, if I'm being feeling myself, I might some, say something to get them to smile or you find something uh, in the reality that they can maybe agree with or, you know, have a little bit of an uplift and like, there's actually somebody present here, you know, and are you present there? Maybe you can be a little more, not necessarily thinking that, but just trying to. I get that. Yeah. Kind of kind of putting yourself in their shoes on a, on a deeper level. Yeah. And not even necessarily thinking that. It's just kind of natural. Like you want to, we should be, be friendly and have camaraderie. And But it's kind of funny too. I've posted before like on Facebook, like you want to freak somebody out, be friendly to them. You know? <laughs> like so many people are like, you know, there's been so many unfriendly experiences and they're just trying to get on with their life yeah. and leave me alone. But I said, hey, how you doing? And to one person, there, oh, fuck you, or something like that. Wow, okay. <laughs> well, then you got to get maybe on their level. Like, man, it's rough getting around in this city sometimes. And uh, yeah, you know, then you have more relatable. So you learn. Yeah, yeah, I see. What you're you saying. can relate. So there's, yeah. Yeah, no, I get that completely. I think that's especially true, by the way, in the East Coast, because people on the East Coast have a, such a different, such a different uh, mindset than the people on the West Coast. That was the first thing I noticed when I came to New York City for the first time, was. Uh, a, a lot less people over there on the East Coast go through plastic surgery. Mm. And B, <laughs> yeah. and B, uh, uh, the personalities are different. It, it's kind of like I had this moment where, like, if you asked a fish, how's the water? The, the, the fish would say, what water? Mm. You know? Yeah. I, I thought the world that I was in in California and Los Angeles was the world. I was like, it's totally natural. It's totally normal. And then I went to New York City. And Wow. What a melting pot, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, it's yeah. A... We to we world toured with Dread Zeppelin, so we've been like a lot of places, and yeah, you get I'm sure to you see... learned a lot on that tour too. Yeah, and then you also see that there's a lot of common uh, things, you know, people are people, and they're all dealing with whatever they're dealing with, you know, a lot of commonalities. Yeah, it's it's very interesting the, the commonalities, but also the nuances that make us a little, just a little bit different. It's so interesting that they're going to do something a little bit differently. Yep. For example. This is a this is a really lame example, but me being the foodie I am, in every single restaurant we went to in Italy, wherever we ordered pizza, they don't cut their slices. They, they it's like pizza is like a tear item that you're supposed to tear it with your hands. And I thought mm. that was so interesting to me. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know where where did you go on your world tour? Well, we started out. MTV came out and filmed something even before I was in the band with with Dread Zeppelin, and. Uh, then it started to get more and more shows, and in the movie, uh, it even the drummer mentions to the leader of the band, Joe, that, I don't know, I need to get a job, you know, and then they started rehearsing me, you know, coincidentally, or somehow, however that came about, and uh, then after MTV did a, aired a little something, Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Knocking over a microphone. Uh, we got booked. I think it was the colleges and clubs across the U.S. wanted to 
see this thing. So we hopped in a van and we had an eight week tour at, oh my gosh. And there was some snow and everything happened on the East Coast. So that was an adventure. But then more and more momentum started happening. So then it was the U.S. and then Canada. And then we started, got into the tour bus. And then now, now we're going to England. Got the flights happening. And then uh, Europe, a bunch of countries and cities in Europe. And then uh, Hawaii on the way to Japan and Australia. And then flying, you know, three years of the Australia. Wow. Oh my god, that's so cool! Yeah, so they show some of that in the movie, and yeah, well, I'm like, I'm excited. Did they say when the movie's coming out? No, I'll have to give them a little nudge, see what's happening. But yeah, I want to see this movie for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of you know how to you know see more of you, uh, if someone on the other end right now listening wanted to contact you, wanted to collaborate with you, potentially even jam with you, pick your brain as a striving artist, what is the best way to contact you? Well, I'm all over social media, so Paul Maselli, M-A-S-E-L-L-I. And, of course, I've got like 17 Facebook pages up for different things. And uh, there's Instagram, Paul R. Maselli, I believe that one. Twitter, P. Maselli. And uh, LinkedIn, Paul Maselli. And usually I might have a picture of me playing the drums or the guitar. Or I think now I've got one I'm holding the Jim Morrison album, the Doors album with Jim Morrison on the cover. And... Um, yeah, and you can search Maselvis and <laughs> Fresh <laughs> Zeppelin and the Booty Shakers Disco Band, B-O-O-T-I-E. And, uh, yeah, I got my Maselvis page up there and uh, the Booty Shakers Disco Band. And then We Rock for Human Rights, Rock the Truth About Drugs, um, yeah, orchestra, <laughs> symphony orchestra variety concerts. I even do life coaching, career counseling, you know, just as a, like a help flow. Uh, it's not so much my focus because when you do too many things, you don't, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've already got a lot going on with the music, but I've done things like um, the Kangen water machine is an ionizer, water ionizer. So I was focusing all on that to make money because that's the, I need money to support my, you know, creations or music career but then you're like somebody says oh you're the water guy i'm like dang i don't really want to be the water guy i'm right. a performing musician so right i need to get back over to the music so you feel i feel better doing that you know that being the focus i get the gist i get what you're saying yeah so all of that information will be displayed in the description below <laughs> and finally paul the question that i ask everybody on this podcast. Uh-oh. <clears throat> Let me get ready. Okay. <laughs> what will you be famous for? Performing and uh, making a difference to some degree with uh, the truths and how people can be their, who they want to be and their best selves. But as an entertainer, I would say. Rock on. Paul, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a great episode. This production took time, energy, and money to produce. To support the growing business of this podcast, go to www.patreon.com slash mrthrive to become a thriver today. That is patreon.com slash mrthrive. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.